All right. Well, good to see everybody. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. And I would recommend that you fasten your seatbelts. Because if you're new with us, I kind of want to apologize. I mean, you're stepping right into the middle of a hurricane. Um, but tonight we'll kind of, um, we'll finish up looking at a, a, a couple of side studies that are connected to chapter 1 of Romans. And we'll start focusing more on the text. Uh, but these were important things that we needed to bring out. And we are right now uh, in one of those particular offshoot studies. Uh, but not really. It's really not. Well, let's just start. Um, so we are currently in the section in Romans chapter 1 uh, where Paul is proving that the pagan is condemned by God. Now, it's in the broader context of a section that runs from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20. But we're right at the beginning of that. Uh, a section where Paul is proving the pagan is condemned by God. But here's the thing. In so doing, he gives us insight into a religious deception that is coming upon the world in these last days. And that's kind of where we've camped out. So let's look at verses 20. Let's start, start by looking at verse 21. The pagan is condemned before God because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things." In other words, when people reject the God of the Bible whose truth is spiritual light, the darkness of demonic spiritual deception takes hold of their minds and they become slaves to Satan's lies. This is going to reach a climax during the tribulation period when the Antichrist becomes the leader of the one world government and most of the people of this fallen world will embrace his gospel and worship him as God. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, and let's pick it up first at verse 3, where Paul says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. He's talking about the Antichrist. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 9 The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Stop there. Paul's statement in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 11 is a prophetic warning that many people during the tribulation period will embrace Satan's gospel preached by the Antichrist 
a gospel that Paul calls the light. He says, we said last week, this is what occultists and New Ages have called the cosmic gospel. It's a counterfeit gospel that has damned to hell billions of people down through the centuries and will be used to condemn billions more to hell during the tribulation period. The prophecy Paul shared with the Christians in Thessalonica dovetails with the teaching he presented to the Christians living in Rome. So again, back up to verse 22. Professing to be wise, these pagans, doesn't mean they're not religious, just means they don't embrace the God of truth and his word is truth. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen in both Romans chapter 1 verse 25 and 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 11 Paul made reference to the lie the lie not a lie i'm not sure how your translation deals with it i've checked the greek the definite article is there so in these two passages, Paul made reference to the lie, not a lie, as in one of many, but the lie, as in the mother of lies. As we said last time, the world is full of lies, that's true. But there is one lie that is the mother of all spiritual lies, that the father of lies, John 8, 44, as Jesus talked of Satan, that the father of lies introduced into the human race in the Garden of Eden. This main lie is made up of four parts that we started looking at in our previous study in Romans. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read to you about this lie. Okay? Genesis 3, starting with verse 1. Now, the serpent, of course, the devil, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This lie that Satan told Eve was made up of four false doctrines. Now, we looked at the first two last week. Let me just touch on them. And if you want to get a fuller understanding, you've got to listen to the message from last week. I'm just going to refresh your memories. The lie that Satan told Eve has four parts to it. Together, they make up the lie the lie the first part the first false doctrine is god is not personal but an impersonal force that fills the universe and everything and everyone in it now when satan came to eve one of the things he subtly planted in her mind was the concept that 
the person that she had come to know as God was not God because of who he was. He was God because of what he knew. Verse 5. You will be like God, what? Knowing. In other words, he had learned or he had gained knowledge on how to tap into a force that made him God. And now he was trying to keep her from understanding what this God force was because he didn't want her to find the same divinity that he had found. So, indirectly, what Satan is saying about God is that he is not a good God, not a loving God. He's trying to keep something from you, Eve, that's good. But here we have the first part of the lie. God is not personal, but an impersonal force that fills the universe and flows through everything and everyone in it. We talked more about this last time. Check out the study. Number two, the second element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that there is no ultimate death. When Satan told Eve, you will not surely die. He was saying to her, Eve, there is no penalty for disobeying God. There is no judgment upon sin. There's no death, ultimately speaking. You see, God had told Adam and Eve that in Genesis 2.17, you can read this, God told them that in the day they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. But Satan told Eve God lied about the consequences of disobeying him because there is no death. This became the basis for the doctrine of reincarnation. Reincarnation is the spiritual doctrine of Hinduism, the New Age movement, other groups share it, that believes that when a person dies, their spirit moves out of their body and out onto the astral plane until another body is prepared for them, for their spirit to inhabit. You just keep getting recycled on the earth. There is no death. You just keep getting one chance after another to come back, do a better, do better next time, live a, a, a more moral, spiritually enlightened life. And if you keep improving, you'll eventually evolve to godhood. Now that's a pretty, you know, that's a compelling thing to think about. There's no death. I keep getting recycled. I don't really die. There's no judgment. There's no hell. I mean, people embrace that doctrine pretty readily. Of course, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for a man, woman to die once, and then comes the judgment. So the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. Uh, it teaches resurrection. We're all going to be resurrected, some to eternal life in heaven, some to eternal damnation in hell, depending on what you believed while you were on the earth. All right. The third element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that she could become a god. She could become a god. For God knows, the devil told Eve, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Or in other words, Satan told Eve she would ascend to godhood, but only after her eyes were opened, or in other words, only after she was enlightened. Since we're all part of the God force that flows through everything, people, rocks, trees, animals, oceans, you know, then that means that all is God. It's what is known as pantheism. 
According to pantheism, God is in all, and therefore all is God. And if all is God, then that means, guess what? I am God. Which is exactly what Shirley MacLaine, prophetess of the New Age movement, declared in the movie Dancing in the Light. She said her words, I know that I exist, therefore I am. I know that the God force exists, therefore it is. Since I am a part of that force, then I am that I am. The name of God. Of course, this was at the heart of the great rebellion of Lucifer, wasn't it? Where he, had, where he led a revolt in heaven in an attempt to defeat God, usurp his throne, and replace him as the great I am of the universe. Turn to Isaiah 14. Because this rebellion was recounted by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 14. And let's pick it up in verse 12. I encourage you to read the entire passage. Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The five I wills of Lucifer. And then, of course, when he fell, Lucifer, of course, his rebellion in heaven was put down by God. He came to the earth and imported that rebellion on the earth, enlisting mankind to participate. Look, if I am God, I'm free to worship myself, live for myself, and I answer to no one but myself, which is a very appealing belief system to the selfish heart of fallen man. The devil knows what buttons to push. The devil knows what, you know, we're most susceptible to. And that is why the human race will embrace the devil's false gospel so enthusiastically during the tribulation period. Because it feeds into something that man has wanted from the very beginning of time to be God. Whether we realize it or not, the greatest scourge facing the human race is the sin of man worshiping himself as God. Again, Romans 1.23. You ask certain people, what's the greatest problem facing the human race? Global warming? Um, some of the other goofy things that man wants to go running after. You know? I'll let you figure it out. You've heard them. I just saw an article that my gas stove is one of the greatest problems facing the world they want to take my gas stove how dare they i don't even cook that much but i have a gas stove anyway but this phenomenon if i could put it that way of self-worship is rooted in pride and self-love and guys pride and self-love are are at the heart of all of man's problems that is the existential threat we keep hearing about this is an existential threat. Gas stoves, Donald Trump, I mean, global warming, everything's an existential threat, but what really is the threat? Man's pride and self-love, which causes him 
to want to step on others, take advantage of others, even kill others to get where he wants to be, to have what he wants to have. Guys, this was the first sin ever committed by, by man on earth. When I say man, I mean Mr. and Mrs. Man, Adam and Eve, mankind. I believe that this will become the ultimate sin on the earth during the tribulation period. Of course, it's going to give rise to many other sins. But I believe the ultimate sin on the earth during the tribulation period will be the sin of self-worship. And you're going to have the Antichrist convincing all kinds of people that they can be gods. In fact, they are gods. You think it's bad now? A lot of folks worship themselves right now as God. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to make it official. They really are gods. Can you imagine? I don't think I can define hell on earth any more clearly than having five or six billion little gods running around trying to get their way, work their will. When Jesus returns, he's going to destroy all these little demigods before he establishes his kingdom on the earth where the true and living God is going to reign from Jerusalem over the entire planet. All right, the fourth element of the lie that Satan told Eve in the garden was that godhood could be achieved, listen, through the tree of knowledge. Or in other words, the path to godhood is through enlightenment. As Satan's lie to Eve progressed, he told her, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, your eyes will be opened. In other words, you'll be enlightened, Eve, and you will become like God. You will ascend to godhood. Those involved in Hinduism and the New Age movement, both of which are built on pantheism, that God is an impersonal, impersonal force that fills the universe, binds us all together so that we're all God. God is in everything. And because God is in us, we are gods too. But those involved in Hinduism and the New Age movement believe that although man is God, listen, he's forgotten that he's God. And therefore, since he is a forgetful God, he or she must come to a higher level of enlightenment, to a higher level of consciousness, to the realization of his or her own divinity, or the phrase they use is higher self. Higher self. Not until you ascend to your higher self, to a place where you're really enlightened, well, will you realize you're God. Now guys, this enlightenment can be achieved through various means. This is what they teach. Through transcendental meditation, through the use of hallucinogenic drugs like LSD, through visualization, through yoga, or some other technique, in Eve's case, uh, eating from the tree of knowledge. But whatever the technique, they all promise enlightenment and claim to be the path to godhood. You see, uh, the only obstacle these um, New Age gurus tell us that stands in the way of you reaching godhood and enjoying your full potential as God, well, the only thing hindering that is the way you think, the way you perceive reality. The problem is you misperceive reality and impose on it your own limitations. Uh, what you need to do is come to the realization, to the awareness, to be enlightened, that you have infinite potential within because the God force flows through you. And by the way, um, a lot of secular folks have 
glommed onto this. This is very big teaching among, uh, among the human potential movement. There is a spiritual branch that embraces this teaching. Then you have a secular branch. A lot of corporations will pay big money to have people come in to teach their people how to have a positive mental attitude because really you have this power within. Where did it come from? We don't know, but you got it inside of you. How do you know it's there? They, you know, they just want to build you up. The problem is, though, we have forgotten we're God. We um, are living at a lower level of existence so that we are not enlightened enough to comprehend the fact that the God force flows through us. Um, the problem is we misperceive reality. We impose upon it our own limitations. And uh, what we need to do is come to the realization that uh, we have infinite potential because the God force flows through us, through all of us. You need to understand that the, the gurus, these gurus that embrace this stuff, uh, tell people that you'll never start enjoying your full God potential until you embrace your divinity and believe that you are God. And that's why Shirley MacLaine takes the first five minutes of every day I don't know, probably standing in front of a mirror somewhere in her house. She takes the first five minutes of every day reminding herself that she is God. How much of a God are you if you have to keep reminding yourself that you're God? I mean, if I forget that every day when I wake up, so I've got to remind myself, I don't think I'm much of a God. But that's surely. Now, once you realize that you are God with the God force flowing through you and that you have unlimited power and potential within, then you can begin to use this power to work miracles, overcome weaknesses, heal sicknesses, gain health and success. In short, you'll have the power to change your own reality and make the world a better place. That's always tacked on at the end. It sounds kind of selfish if I don't, you know, sound a little more... Um, you know, uh, where I have a little more, my desire is to, to help the world. Not that I just want to help me. No, no, no. We want to use this to make the world a better place. You know, this is all based on the Hindu belief that the physical universe is really nothing more than an illusion created by your mind called a maya. That's all it is. So if you don't like your current reality, you're sick and you want to be healthy. You're poor and you want to be rich. You've got to keep visualizing in your mind a different reality. You've got to do it all throughout the day and really focus on that. One Word of Faith teacher uh, talked about this in a book he wrote, how that looked. If, you, uh, want to, if you're poor and you want to be rich, you've got to visualize yourself standing in front of your mansion. What are those two Rolls Royces in the driveway? Those are yours. you got to keep focusing and focusing. Visualize a different reality. You're sick. You're in a hospital. You visualize yourself on a beach somewhere running at the top of your... Just because you're not going to accept this current reality because it's just an illusion created by your mind. You need to focus on a different reality. And if you think hard enough about it, it'll become your reality. It'll change your circumstances. Guys, the New Age movement's beliefs are not new at all. 
and I know we've said this before. Let me say it again. The New Age movement's beliefs are not new at all. They are westernized Hinduism, which have their roots as far back as the Garden of Eden. I mentioned this last time, but C.S. Lewis traced all the religions, all the major religions and cults back to two primary sources. Judeo-Christianity, God's truth, and Hinduism, Satan's lie, both of which started in the Garden of Eden. Once again, both Hinduism and the New Age movement, which is now called the New Spirituality, both Hinduism and the New Age movement teach that the only obstacle, once again, that stands in the way of you reaching your godhood and full potential is the way you think. It's all about the way you think, the way you perceive reality. And again, they teach that most people don't believe they're God. Most of us don't believe we're God, right? You know what they call that? They call that heinous pride. Think about that. If you don't believe you're God, you're proud. If you do believe you're God, you're humble. How do they work that? I'll show you in a second. Let me just say this. They teach that most people, of course, don't believe they're God. That's why they're there, to help everyone realize that they're God. Okay. Um, but because most people don't believe they're God, they impose their own limitations upon their reality. Now listen. This is why it's uh, proud. Because your reality intersects with my reality. Because we're all part of the God consciousness. We're all part of the, 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 the divine collective. So when you're not clicking on all eight cylinders, when you're not realizing your Godhood and reaching your full potential, you're holding me back. You're damaging the collective. And that's why Barbara Marks Hubbard ultimate new ager said that the world is a living organism the planet earth is a living thing and only the those that believe that in pantheism those that believe that they are gods all connected together they're the healthy cells in the body of planet earth all the monotheists who would that be Christians, Jews, Muslims, we're the cancer cells, her words. We're the cancer cells that are hindering, hurting Mother Earth. We have got to be gotten rid of. Some believe that when the rapture happens, uh, those in this with this way of thinking, uh, they are already teaching that at one point the Earth is going to go through a cleansing cycle get rid of all these lower these monotheists with the lower vibratory brain waves because they're holding everyone back but i want you to understand this okay they tell us what a person needs to do to start tapping into the infinite power of the god force within them and use it then to conquer sickness and poverty bad habits other human failings is to realize that they're god that they are god until then, they will continue to remain a failure in life. That's where the human potential movement comes in. They hit this pretty hard. The reason you're not a success is because you're not looking within. You don't realize the untapped potential in you. In that regard, you're your own worst enemy. You're your own worst enemy. You're the one holding yourself back from, from health, 
and success and every other good thing. You're the one holding yourself back from helping others who are sick or in poverty or whatever. You're selfish. See, if you don't believe you're God, you're selfish. Uh, heinous pride. Okay, that's what they believe. Um, but again, um, until you realize you're God, uh, you're going to continue living uh, a, a, a life of failure. Uh, in that regard, they say again, you're your own worst enemy. You're fighting against yourself because the God force is in you. It wants you to unleash it, it you're, but you're holding it back. You're hindering what the God force can do if you just tap into it and let it go. You're your own worst enemy. You remember, <laughs> you guys that are Star Wars buffs, remember the scene in one of the Star Wars movies. And remember, George Lucas fancied himself as the um, evangelist of the force. George Lucas said those movies were designed to preach the gospel of the force. So that you just know that. You remember the scene in one of the Star Wars movies where Luke Skywalker is concerned that he has to face Darth Vader, his archenemy at one point. And so in this vision, he finds he's standing in front of a cave. He walks in. And all of a sudden, here's Darth Vader with that helmet over his head, right? The lightsabers come out, and they start going at it. Sparks flying. At one point, Luke, in this vision, takes his lightsaber and cuts off Darth Vader's head. And you see the helmet rolling on the ground. And then at one point, it comes up where you can see the face. But when he looks down at the face in the helmet, it's not Darth Vader's face. It's Luke's face. What is the movie teaching us? That we're our own worst enemies. We would have unlimited potential and power if we would just stop fighting this reality that we're God. Again, the only one hindering you from achieving complete divinity, God, it is you, because you place limits limitations upon yourself by the way you think this was something that yoda the yogi of the force okay that's what he was the the yogi of the force this was something that yoda tried to teach luke by having him uh lift his starship out of the swamp using only the power of his mind remember he crashed on this planet as a swampy planet and his starship was in the swamp and we said just a little part of it sticking out. And Yoda was trying to teach Luke how to tap into the Force because he wanted to be a Jedi warrior, right? Um, so, uh, so you see him trying to levitate his spaceship out of the swamp using the power of his mind. And it starts to shake, you know, and you see him concentrating real hard, and it's, the thing is starting to shake, and it's starting to come up a little bit, a little more, a little more, and Luke in exhaustion just stops, and the thing sinks into the swamp. He turns to Yoda and says, you ask the impossible, and walked away. At which time Yoda levitated Luke's spaceship from the swamp using the power of his mind. Lifts it right up, brings it out of the swamp, sets it on dry ground. Luke exclaimed, I don't believe it. To which Yoda responded, that's why you failed, because you didn't believe it's all in the power of your mind. 
In a lecture that Dave Hunt gave years ago at a pastor's conference I attended, he made reference to a book called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. He said, I quote, Jonathan Livingston Siegel was a book written in 1970. Tens of thousands of copies were sold in Christian bookstores. It was Hinduism dressed up in positive mental attitude, success motivation, psychological terminology. Richard Bach, the author, this is interesting, said it was all dictated to him by a disembodied spirit out on the astral plane. And then Dave remind us, reminded us as pastors what Paul said to a young pastor named Timothy that in the last days, people would start giving heed to deceiving spirits embracing doctrines of demons. That was a prophecy for the church. Right? So a lot of Christian churches that are playing around with this stuff. It was all dictated, the whole book, bestseller, by a demon who pretended to be a white master out in the astral plane. A disembodied spirit waiting to be reincarnated onto the earth. Hunt goes on to say the book was read by thousands of Christians, especially Christian businessmen, who had copies in their offices with a picture of Jonathan flying through the air with the caption underneath, I can because I think I can. Hunt said, do you know that there are many sincere and well-intentioned Christians who think that that's what faith is? You pray and believe, and if you believe hard enough, your faith will make it happen. Of course, this is another element of the lie that is infiltrated into the church. The doctrinal cornerstone of the lie, which is also the doctrinal cornerstone of Hinduism and the New Age movement, among others, is that man is really God or is evolving into Godhood, end quote. As I said earlier, I believe that the very lie Satan introduced into the human race in the Garden of Eden will be the lie the Antichrist will use to deceive the human race when he comes on the world scene. Let's be clear. The very lie that caused the human race to fall in the beginning, I believe, is going to be the ultimate deception that Satan is going to use against the human race in the end. All right, I'm going to say some things you might think, I think you're nuts, and maybe I am. I don't know. I believe the Antichrist religion, we know he's going to produce a new religion. When he first makes his appearance, he encourages the worship of the true God. But at the midpoint, when his power is solidified, he doesn't need religion anymore. He's going to create his own religion, a new religion. He's going to preach a new gospel. I believe the Antichrist religion will be rooted in the belief that mankind can become a super race of God beings that will live forever. Remember, guys, keep thinking of the lie. It's all going back to that. As I've said before, let me say it again. When Satan introduced the lie into the human race in the Garden of Eden, it was in its embryonic state. It has had 6,000 years to grow and mature and spread across the globe, and now the world is ready for the ultimate resurrection. Well, I shouldn't say resurrection. It's been around since the beginning of time. But it's going to become the hot religion under the Antichrist. Because he's going to have power, miracle powers, to sell it. 
You can't argue with miracles, right? Somebody does a real miracle, they must be of God. Oh, wait a minute. I thought Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5 says, If anybody comes to you working miracles, but tells you anything that is contrary to my word, they're a false prophet, stone them. But guys, this has been the goal of Hinduism, Mormonism, uh, the New Age movement, and many other groups. Those who believe that we are really God, and all we need is to be enlightened, and all we need is to be enlightened, and then the human race will take a listen, a quantum leap in the evolutionary process to Godhood. And you say, well, do they really believe this stuff? Yes, they do. I went back through my notes in a study I did on this 20-some years ago. Refreshed my memory. Let me read it to you. Well, in my notes I've got in the mid-80s. Now, I'm old enough to remember this. Some of you guys are too young. But um, in the mid-80s, the new, new Age groups all over the world simultaneously came together for what they called the World Peace Movement with the hope... That with the hope of bringing peace to the world through collective meditation, it was a process they called harmonic convergence. The idea was that if enough people all over the world, who bought into this, if enough people all over the world would simultaneously visualize world peace all at the exact same moment, 12 noon, Greenwich Mean Time, 12 noon, Greenwich Mean Time, everyone visualized world peace. I Remember the bumper stickers? Visualize world peace. Maybe you see one once in a while. It goes back to this idea, okay? That if enough people came together and visualized world peace all at the same time, their combined positive mental energy would create a critical mass of consciousness which would in turn catapult the world into a new age. Nothing happened. And so critics called it the moronic convergence. Oh, by the way, that's biblical. Professing to be wise, they became, what's the Greek word? Morons. Interesting. Um, nothing happened, so critics called the moronic convergence. Although four years later, when the Soviet Union fell, these folks took credit for it. We did that. Those involved in the movement are looking for a new Messiah. Looking for a new Messiah to come, who will be the latest reincarnation of the Christ spirit who will be the latest reincarnation of the Christ Spirit. The same Spirit that inhabited Jesus, who was the Messiah for this present age, which has lasted 2,000 years, the Piscean Age. But there's coming another Messiah that will be inhabited by the Christ Spirit for the new age. What is it? The age of Aquarius. That's coming. They believe that when he comes... He goes by the title of Maitreya Buddha. When he comes, he will, he will unite the world into one single unified global community and bring to mankind a beautiful new age, hence the name of peace and prosperity. Well, you know, I seem to remember a scripture. Help me out. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 1, when the people of the world say peace and safety. Our Messiah is here. We have global peace. This is the new age. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them and they will not escape. Like 
labor pains upon a pregnant woman, sudden destruction will come, judgment will come upon them, and they will not escape. Of course, we know the Bible predicts a man is coming who's going to sell himself off as the Messiah. No doubt of the new age. We know him as the Antichrist. The world is going to know him as their Messiah, the Savior of the planet. It's interesting. I'm going to shift it into gear now, high gear. But it's interesting that this idea that man is on the verge of godhood is being promoted today, listen, in scientific circles, even as it has been for centuries in religious circles. But it's not going to happen through religious techniques. It's going to happen through technology. Those in the scientific community are telling us that the human race is on the verge of Godhood. One of the hottest fields in, in genetics today is transhumanism. It's becoming a very popular term. But one of the hottest fields in genetics today is transhumanism. Transhumanism has two main branches. First of all, cybernetic transhumanism, which means the combining of the human body with a machine. Cybernetics. A cyborg is a, uh, is a, a cybernetic Cyborg means cybernetic organism, the combining of man and machine. But it also could involve um, another uh, aspect of this, which is combining man's consciousness with a machine. Now look, using mechanical prosthetics and other you know, eyes and, and, and all um, as a replacement for human limbs and eyes and so on uh, has been around for a, a while popularized by the TV series The Six Million Dollar Man or the movie RoboCop. That was cybernetics, the combining of man and machine, okay? But, but the fusing of the human consciousness with a robot called the singularity, uh, as of this point, it's only a fantasy. I believe it is entirely possible that this will be the message of the Antichrist, the message he will preach uh, to the world during the tribulation period. A message, that, a message that man's consciousness can be downloaded into a robot or machine to give the person, him or her, the ability to live forever, their consciousness now, in a mechanical avatar containing incredible strength as well as having a supercomputer for a brain connected with every other person on the planet via some kind of global linking system, giving mankind the collective consciousness, because that's where it's at. We are strong when we are united. Well, we've been teaching on being united in the church, but not like this. This is Borg stuff. If you like Star Trek Next Generation TV, this is the Borg that they're talking about. I want unity with you guys. I just don't want to be connected to you in some kind of a weird uh, Borg-like situation where, you know, you're in my head all the time. <laughs> Pat, I'm looking at you, buddy. <laughs> um, but guys, could this technology be used by the Antichrist during the tribulation period and be the basis for his new religion? That man can become a god by having his or her consciousness downloaded into a, we'll say, a robot, some kind of mechanical avatar, what scientists are calling cybernetic transhumanism. Now, if you think I'm nuts, 
You think of Phil, come on, okay? You're out there. Uh, this is ridiculous. There's no biblical basis for anything you're saying. Oh, really? Turn to Revelation chapter 13. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying it's a possibility, biblically speaking. You all know we just spent like 100 years going through Revelation. You, you, all, you all know this, okay? But, but let's just pick it up, uh, Revelation 13. Let's uh, start with verse 12. And he, the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast, speaking of the Antichrist, in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it. That's a term for unbelievers, earth dwellers. Always a term for unbelievers. Those that have rejected the truth that they might be saved, love of the truth, and now they're being deceived by Satan's lies. Okay, the Antichrist, I'm thinking in particular. Uh, but which causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Verse 14, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image. Would this be a, a robot maybe? I don't know. To make an image to the beast. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Now guys, we have grown up with pretty sophisticated animatronics. You go to Disney World, which I encourage you not to do until they get their act together. But I've been there. And they've come a long way with these animatronics. You go see the, uh, uh, what is it, the president's, uh, you know, thing where you sit and different presidents from out the history of America are sitting there, robots. And they stand up and they're talking, moving their hands. They look very real, right? We have grown up with advanced animatronics. This wouldn't fool anybody if it's just real sophisticated animatronics. The word there... He has the power to give breath to the image of the beast. That's the word pneuma. And that is the word that we talked about uh, Sunday. We talked about how that this is a term that speaks of life. Uh, a body without breath is dead. God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, uh, Genesis 2, and then breathed into his nostrils with the breath, the pneuma of life. Uh, I'm sorry, it was the ruach. Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the Ruach, or old, pneuma, new, same thing, breath, spirit, so on. God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. This is this image, whatever it's going to be, the Antichrist has the power to give this thing life. Not just turn it on like you turn on a machine. This thing comes to life. It comes to life. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Could this be some kind of robot that they are able to infuse with human consciousness so that it actually comes alive? Again, not just turns on like a machine, but it comes alive. And does the Antichrist, and we'll finish with this, and does the Antichrist demonstrate to this world by downloading his consciousness into this image. Again, possibly a robot of some kind. <laughs> I was thinking about this. It hit me. Just before I came to church, I thought, oh. No, actually, it was in the prayer room, and I was going over my notes. Okay, let, let me back up and say this again. I'll tell you what I, I thought about. Is this image 
some kind of avatar, yeah, a robot of some kind, that the Antichrist is able to download his consciousness into. Now, I don't think he's, it's really happening. I believe it's all demonic. But the world is going to think it's real. Maybe even the Antichrist is going to think he's doing it. But is he going to do this to demonstrate to the world that uh, he is able to download his consciousness into this image, and then after he does, he declares himself to be God? You remember. This is what I thought about. You remember at one point, somebody tries to assassinate the Antichrist. Remember how he's dead for three days, or it looks like he's dead. And suddenly he comes back to life. Now, I don't think he was really dead. I don't think Satan has the power of life and death. And it probably was that he looked dead and then he was revived. But right after this, the world starts worshiping him. I mean, they always had a high opinion of him from the very beginning. They wanted him to be the leader of the whole world. But something happens after this point. After he comes back to life, now the world zealously worships him. Could it be? At this point, his consciousness is downloaded into this avatar where he makes this thing come alive, this robot or whatever it is, and now the whole world is like, I want that. Look at, look what he was able to do. I want that for me. I don't know. It would explain why the world becomes so zealous that if anybody doesn't follow this guy, doesn't, you know, doesn't think he's God, uh, you know, on earth, that they want to kill anybody, his followers want to kill anyone who will not worship him as God. Part of it is, if you're thinking about Hinduism, New Age thinking, here we go. The world is moving into this one world, New Age, and people are going to all be connected together as gods. And now we have people that are coming against this. They are destroying the unity. They are messing up the divine collective. Uh, we need to get rid of them. They are a hindrance, right? But don't worry. We're doing them a favor by killing them. What do you mean? Well, you'll just get reincarnated on the earth. Come back a little more enlightened next time. We're doing them a favor. See how the devil works, right? Um, I mean, I don't know, guys. If this is actually this image in Revelation 13, um, if it's the prototype of a super race that will have incredible power and intelligence, a race of people that will be the perfect combination of man and machine. If you read the articles on transhumanism, the combining of, uh, of humans with technology, robots, the goal is among the elites, this is what they want. It's eternal life. You read it, they tell you that. What, why we're behind this is because we want our frail bodies which are wearing out gonna die we want to you know somehow connect them with machines or download our consciousness into a machine and thereby live forever that's the goal that's eternal life for the secular person you know it's so much easier just to follow jesus okay where you get true eternal life and a new body by the way 
not some tin man thing that's got to be oiled every once in a while. No, no, no. I mean, this, this could be um, the message of the Antichrist, that he will preach to the world and why they, the, his followers so enthusiastically uh, follow him and destroy all those who oppose him and so on. Quickly, that's cybernetic transhumanism. I'll just take two minutes on this. Another branch is, is, is a biological transhumanism, or in other words, splicing together the genes of man with animals. The idea is to make superior human beings. That's always the goal. It's always a noble thing. We really want to help. It's a hideous thought that you're combining human DNA with animal DNA, but we have good intentions. We're trying to make the human race superior. What do you mean? Well, by slicing human DNA with animal DNA, um, we want to give people the eyesight of an eagle, the hearing of a dog, uh, the ability to regenerate limbs like a starfish. Uh, the ability to be cancer-free like, a, like a, a shark. We're trying to help people. Some want to take it even farther and use this DNA not just to tweak mankind. They want to completely recreate mankind. Um, they want to make, combine human DNA with animal DNA um, into half-man, half-animal demigods called chimera. You can Google that. Chimera. Pretty hideous. And guys, I firmly believe that genetic engineering through gene splicing is going, is going on in secret as we speak. It's illegal in most countries, maybe all countries. That doesn't stop people from doing what they think they need to do to help others, mostly to get rich themselves. But I firmly believe that gene genetic engineering through gene splicing is going on in secret across this planet, and I shudder. I shudder to think, to think what hideous, genetically altered creatures are locked up in cages all over the world in laboratories at this very moment. This kind of genetic, and I'll end with this, okay, because I was going to take it, but here. I really want to get back to Romans, okay? I mean, I really do. Um, but I had to ride this, you know, trail until we kind of exhausted some of it. You can dig yourself into it more deeply. But guys, this kind of genetic manipulation, splicing human DNA with animal DNA or even with demonic DNA. Well, how is that possible? Well, it was going on in the days of Noah. It was, go it was going on in the days of Noah where the sons of God, angels, saw the daughters of men, human women, were fair. And they chose for themselves all that they wanted. And this union, sexual union between human women and fallen angels, produced a creature that is called the Nephilim. I believe a half-man, half-demon creature strange in that the Bible says they had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. Uh, they were very large. Uh, Goliath and his brothers were uh, of this race. Even after the flood, God, it got so bad that all flesh corrupted itself upon the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family. God kept genetically pure. 
Noah was pure in his genealogies. In other words, he was pure in his DNA. God allowed Noah, his wife, and their three sons and their wives, eight people to be the only ones that were uncontaminated, and God brought the flood and wiped out the world. Well, that was because they were sinful. Well, we know they were sinful. But why didn't God just bring a revival? He's done that before. Something was going on that caused God to have to destroy the entire world with a flood. Peter talks about it. What went on there? In fact, I'll give you the places you can go, the studies. If you want to really get into this, um, we know this whole thing was going on in the days of Noah and led God to destroy the world with a flood. Uh, if you're interested in this, you can listen to our study out of Genesis 6, verses 1 to 8, 2 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, parts 1 and 2, and then Jude, verses 5 through 7. We talk about this uh, at length and come at it from different directions, um, but I think you'll find it very interesting especially when you realize that, as Jesus said, even as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. These things are going on today. And preparing the world for an ultimate deception that the Antichrist will be behind, but Satan ultimately, but it will all bring about the return of Jesus Christ to the earth to establish his kingdom. All right, God willing, next week we'll get back into um, Romans. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is incredible. It's awesome. Lord, reveal to us the things you have placed here that we have maybe not ever seen. We've overlooked. We haven't really dug to find out what exactly you're talking about. It's pretty incredible, Lord. But we thank you that you have saved us that we know where we're going to spend eternity. Give us grace to reach out to the lost, to help them escape uh, the wrath that's coming. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.